week, we, hopefully, and prayerfully as I have been prepping, we continue to track the first coming of Christ. And all I want to do again is for us to marvel. For us to walk away in Christmas 2022 and perhaps remember this Christmas as a time that we were overwhelmed with the coming of Christ. Now this morning, we're going to look at a more famous, or or maybe I should say a a more quoted text when it comes to Christmas. We're going to look at it, we're going to try to understand why is this isolated way back in Isaiah 9, why is this such a crucial text in the first advent of Christ? It doesn't take long that the moment I say Isaiah 9, and perhaps some of you good Bible readers are already thumbing through it, and you see, oh yeah, for to us a child is born. Yeah, yeah, that sounds familiar. And here it is, Isaiah 9. Why is this such a crucial text as we think about the birth of Christ? Well, let me set the stage for Isaiah 9. Remember, last week we discussed that the people of God, and oftentimes in our own lives, we get in this terrible cycle. We definitely see it in the Old Testament, right? The people of God get in this cycle. They, they repent, the Lord delivers, only to be disobedient again, and then back into captivity. This just happens over and over again. Repentance comes, the Lord delivers, disobedience, back to captivity. Well, here in Isaiah 9, we find the people of God, yes, in that cycle again. A prophet, Isaiah, I know, pretty easy on that one. This is Isaiah, the prophet, And he is before them, and he's warning them of the coming captivity. Why? Because of disobedience. Now, this coming captivity that's going to come upon them is at the hands of the Assyrians. And now all of this is because of their disobedience. Remember the cycle? Repentance, the Lord delivers, disobedience, back to captivity. And here they are in disobedience. Captivity is coming. A time is coming because of their disobedience, their unfaithfulness, When the Assyrians will enslave them, and doing so will bring heavy, 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 heavy oppression against God's people. The Assyrians weren't nice. They just weren't. Now they, as we learn, as we track the story, these Assyrians, this captivity is the means by which the people of God are going to be made aware. Very clearly, very evident, made aware of their own sin. And there's something else that's going to be on display. Not only aware of their own sin, but the evilness that comes about outside of obedience to God. So, captivity is coming. And in that captivity, you're going to learn some things. It will be plain just how evil evil is, just how sinful sin is. And we can relate in times in our life where we were disobedient that we could echo, yeah, that doesn't work out so well for me. And the consequences oftentimes make us aware of that. So Isaiah is there before the people. It's coming. The Assyrians were so evil. They were very evil. You can look at history. Um, And because of their evilness and the heavy oppression and the difficulty they're going to bring to God's people, a gloom was going to set in. Don't you love that word? We don't experience gloomy days that much in the desert, but every now and then we do. Gloom. 
just kind of has a ring to it and doesn't sound great. Now, chapter 8, before we get into 11, this gloom, this uh, coming captivity is described this way. This is how chapter 8 ends. It ends with this word, and they, that's Israel, God's people, will look to the earth, and they'll look around, that's what it means, and here's what they will behold. But behold, distress, darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. Amen. Hallelujah. (laughs) Whoa, okay. Isaiah is eight chapters in. Not that he said, hey, I'm at chapter eight, but he's that far into his telling of what God's going to do, and he says, hey, here's what's going to happen. You're going to look around, and and all you're going to see is distress, darkness, gloom of anguish. It will be It will be crushing, it will be overwhelming, and it will challenge perhaps this hope that you've been holding on to for a while. But that's where we find the people of God. So let's, let's dive into Isaiah 9. We'll look at verses 1 to 7. We'll kind of take our time going through it. So let's look at beginning stages of Isaiah 9. So that's where uh, chapter 8 ends. All darkness, all gloom of anguish. They're going to be thrust into darkness. Okay, verse 1 of chapter 8. None. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Okay, well, there just was gloom, <laughs> and now there's no gloom. Okay, things are looking up. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zubalin and the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the nations. Well, let's just pause here at verse 1 for a second. Verse 1, and before you get to verse 1, it has been clear that captivity is coming. But though it is coming, it will not last forever. That feels hopeful. The, the prophet Isaiah is reassuring God's people. Yes, captivity is coming. It's going to be difficult, but it will not last forever. And in this encouragement, he gives them evidence of God's faithfulness. Don't take my word for it, but look to Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, if those names sound familiar, well, that's because where do we first see their names? Back in Genesis, they're one of the 12 sons of Jacob. They become their own tribe of people, a huge group of folks, and I believe Zebulun in particular is at the sea. You go back and look at the ending of Genesis, you'll see where Jacob uh, gives blessings to all of these people, and at this point, it has all come about. So Isaiah says, yes, gloom and darkness are coming but it will not last forever. And then he points his finger to these two places, these tribes, these people, and he reminds them, hey, look, remember their situation. The Lord will respond. And they serve not only as a reminder of God's faithfulness and grace, but it perhaps maybe serves for the people of Israel that, hey, all of Israel, everybody associated 
at times finds themselves in disobedient, at times finds themselves in need of God's grace. These two serve as examples. Isaiah is almost saying, look at what the Lord has done. And don't forget, gloom doesn't last forever. You see, God's grace often comes in them feeling the results of their rebellion. You would say, how does God's grace come in that? Because it becomes painstakingly clear that it is far better to listen to God. But his grace not only comes in, in the feeling and understanding of the result of their sin, and they understand it clearly, but God is not satisfied in just letting the consequences fall and say, oh, well. It seems he works in such a way, as these two serve as an example, is that gloom doesn't last forever. He's not just satisfied with consequences, but it seems that he wants to use it in a way to not only help them, but to see his grace. You see, because this gloom that they're going to experience is only momentary. It will be lifted once it becomes plain that he and only he is the source of truth. That he, God, is life itself. Just like those two groups, remember? This is what Isaiah is doing. He's bringing them in. God will not let you sit in gloom forever. The humiliation day, Israel, will feel. It brings about a greater exaltation, that God is God alone. What will that exaltation look like? What's the picture when gloom is lifted? This is what I love about this text. What I love about this is we get a glimpse of what it looks like when gloom is lifted, when the clouds part and the sun shines. The next couple of verses paint a picture for us of, okay, what's that going to look like? And it'll even go further, as we'll look at in a few moments, of how that is going to be lifted. But here is a moment where God's people are in desperate need of him. So how is gloom lifted? Well, verse 2 and 3. Verse 2 begins with this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Verse 3. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divided the spoil. So here we see that when gloom is lifted, here's what it looks like. Light and joy. Two things occur when the gloom is lifted. When the cloud of despair clears away, Here's what happens, light and joy. You see, the gloom made a terrible darkness, but when it is lifted, the light is just that much more evident. Maybe this will ring a bell. I can see clearly now the rain is gone. Those living in darkness, God's people, anyone else around them, those living in darkness will see the lights. 
And when they see it, there will be no mistaking what it is. Though God's people will be thrusted into darkness, and they will live under a cloud of deep darkness due to their rebellion, and they'll live in that at the hands of the Assyrians. Here's what God says. Gloom will be lifted because light will shine on you. Not because of them. Only because of God's grace. Only because of God's work. Oh, hold tight to me, people of God. Have you found yourself in gloomy darkness this morning? Might you be reminded, just much like Isaiah did, pointing to people, might we be reminded as we point to the scriptures to say light will indeed shine. And it will be because of God's grace, nothing because of themselves. But not only will, what does it look like when gloom is lifted, that light is better seen, when light shines, but joy will increase because of their increase. Did you catch that language? Here's a reference to God being faithful to his promise. That is what we see in verse 3. You, God, have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Notice the language of multiply. We saw it in Exodus 1. The heavier God's people were oppressed, what occurred? They increased. And here, what rises and lifts the gloom when God is faithful to his promises? As the seed of hope from Genesis 3.15, it gets watered throughout the Old Testament. Increase of God's people is part of the covenant. It's part of the promise. And so what the Lord is reminding them is that there will be great joy in the deep darkness when the people look around and realize that all along, even in captivity, the Lord has been faithful. He has done what he said he would do. You just couldn't see it. You just couldn't see it. But when the gloom is lifted, it won't be like verse 8, 22, or chapter 8, 22, when you look around and all you see is darkness, you'll look around and see the faithfulness of the Lord. And oh, of course, that brings tremendous joy. When all seems lost and hope is just a little glimmer, light shines, we look around and say, all the while, God has been faithful. What does it look like when gloom lifts? Light is clear, and God's faithfulness is is evident, and our joy increases. So Isaiah, as he comes out of chapter 8 of this coming captivity of the Assyrians, and he leaves chapter 8 with, hey, gloom, you're going to be thrust into darkness, but there will be no gloom. It will be lifted, and here's what it will look like. Now that we've seen what it looks like, and perhaps uh, in our own hearts to be reminded that in deep darkness, God is faithful, And when it's lifted, it'll become evident that he was there the entire time. Perhaps you didn't see it. Perhaps you didn't know it because it was just dark. It was just dark. And there he was. How many of you thinking about footprints in the sand right now? No, anyone? Just me? (laughs) 
Sometimes we don't see it. We don't know it. And, and Isaiah is reminding God's people, it will get dark. But he's there. Because when the gloom lifts, you'll see it. It'll be evident. Brothers and sisters, our God is with us. Emmanuel. Our God, our God is with us. And that's refreshing. Now that we see when the gloom's lifted, what would be most evident, let's take a little bit and let's see how the, how the gloom will be lifted. So there's all this hope in these first two, three verses, right? Just tremendous hope. God's going to be there. He's going to be faithful. I'll see the light at some point, and I know he's being faithful. But for some of you, because you're detailed-oriented, how? Well, I believe you're going to do it, but perhaps you could give us a little insight of how you're going to do that. Well, verses 4 to 7 actually kind of serve, as Isaiah is laying out before the people, they kind of serve in giving them and us this morning of how. Let's look at those together for a few moments, 4 to 7. Four, and you see these three, four statements, not three, Number four, but three, four statements, kind of serving as becauses. For the yoke of his burden, the people's burden, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you, God, have broken as on the day of Midian. Another wonderful reference there. Verse five. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle torment and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Don't you love heavy imagery stuff? Some of you are like, this makes no sense. But growing up in Tennessee, this is how we taught. I was like, yes, I see it. And then verse 6, the last four we get, for to us a child is born. To us a son is given. What an odd solution. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I cannot read through those without just getting a little louder with each one. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace. Doesn't that sound great? There will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness very different rule and reign here from this time forth and forevermore long lasting the zeal of the lord of hosts will do this don't you love that last little stamp (laughs) by the way he's gonna do it so here we get these four statements and really in a nutshell how is how is the gloom going to be lifted a greater power is going to prevail In a nutshell, if you just want, a greater power is going to prevail. There are three, four statements, four, five, and six, each giving us a because, each giving us how light and joy will happen. First, the oppression, the yoke, the heavy burden will be broken. A greater power will break the yoke will break the oppression and the heavy burden. The stones of heavy toil, work, enslavement will be shattered at the hands of God's greater power. 
Can you imagine the people of God listening to that? Knowing the Assyrians are coming, but hearing of greater strength and power that will break heavy burdens, will break heavy yokes. See, God's grace is evident in the breaking of burdens and oppression. Notice the imagery here. Did you catch that yoke, staff, rod? All of these things that that are being used to bring oppressive burdens. And actually, these are all good things, but they're being used wrongly, and they're bringing about undue stress, toil, and great pain, to put it mildly. These items in the hands of oppressors, what are they intended to do? Break the backs of the people that wear them and fill them. And when I say break the people, we know what we mean. Break their hope. Shatter any light. Shatter any moment to think they will get out of it. These items in the hands of the oppressors are intended to break the hope of God's people. And we've been tracking that hope the last couple of weeks. And it's a strong hope, full of joy. And it's a hope that God will follow through on his promise that we saw in the third chapter of our Bibles and have been tracking. That God will bring about his promises in this seed of hope that has been watered, and by the time we get to Isaiah 9, has been thoroughly watered, and much, much more has been attached and understood about what God is doing, and has been built up over the years, a tremendous belief that God was going to move. He's revealed it. They have clung to it, but here, heavy yoke rods of the oppressor beating every ounce of hope out of God's people. It's all intended. It's all intended to break the hope of God's people. How does light and joy come? Well, it most certainly comes when the evil burdens and the undue punishment are shattered and broke in a greater power ascends and overcomes. The Assyrians, as a world superpower of the day, and their heavy yoke placed upon God's people, guess what that will be? No match for God. (laughs) No match for God when he lifts the gloom. Amass land. Amass armies. Amass prestige. Do what you will, superpower. But it's no match for God. A greater power will come and break, shatter that yoke. Now, I, I just I have to stop here for just a second. We know where this is heading, right? You're clear on that. No news is that a child's going to be born. We know who that child is. We celebrate him over the Christmas season. Do you know what that child said one time? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Any idea what the next statement is that he says? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You see, a yoke in the hands of a loving father is good. And it brings rest. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. What a radical difference between the yoke of the oppressor. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oh, man. Woo! That's good. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isn't this a wonderful and almost an exact fulfillment of what we're looking at right there in that text? Their yoke will be broke. And come to find out the, as we Look at more in a moment, but I just had to mention it right here. That the child who will come says, hey, my yoke is easy and will bring rest. More on that in a moment, but that's just glorious. What an almost exact fulfillment of what the Lord is going to do. Yeah, he broke the evil yoke. Now, before we get to the next four statement, Isaiah reassures them that what he is saying is not just a mere dream. Not just something he came up with and he woke up and says, oh, wait a minute. Notice another name he mentions at the end of verse 4. He reassures them by alluding to Midian. Anyone know what happened at Midian? Was the name of a fella named Gideon. Kind of rhymes with Midian, right? Remember Gideon? And what happened at Midian? That in the great weakness of the people, no, 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 Gideon, just take a few folks with you. What about the whole army? No, just a few folks. Isn't this bringing to their remembrance, oh, wait a minute, in the weakness of the people, God brought deliverance. When all looked lost, God showed up. And in the weakness of the people, God brought deliverance. What a wonderful illusion. How will the gloom be lifted? The yoke will be broken. A greater power will smash to pieces. Secondly, in verse 5, the Lord will put an end to the oppression by putting an end to the warfare, the shed of blood. God's people experience it a lot in captivity. The shed of blood, the heavy oppression, the unfair treatment. Here, Isaiah, on behalf of God, says gloom will be lifted. Oppression will end because the Lord will put an end to the warfare. Notice that God does not create greater warfare to stop the shedding 